0: Thanks guys. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Hiawatha Church. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Glad to have you all with us. If you are a part of our church or just visiting today, maybe with family or friends or for the first time, glad you guys are are here. Uh, Again, Merry Christmas. Um, We're going to take a few minutes to briefly look at uh, the gospel, uh, this this core idea of what Christmas really is, and uh, a bit more about just who Christ is and what the manger meant specifically today. I'll get to that. Uh, Through the lens of some song lyrics, uh, we're going to look at what child is this today. Which we've been looking at uh, these uh, song lyrics or preaching through the carols idea for a couple of weeks now. Uh, spent one of these uh, last night too at our Christmas Eve service. But uh, today we're going to look at "What Child Is This," which um, happens to be a song title, but but also a question, which I really like. A lot of these uh, songs songs I think in general do this sometimes, but some of the Christmas carols that we know and love uh, pose questions that they later answer in the song. And uh, this th- we'll look at this question and. Uh, Answer, but, but also a more particular question uh, we're going to look at today, and I'll start with this um, and we'll dive right in. Uh, but the question the song asks, I think, um, again, more of a particular question that builds on what child is this, who actually is this uh, child, is why lies he in such mean estate where ox and ass are feeding? Why lies he in such mean estate? Where, where ox and ass are feeding. And then a, a complimentary passage I want to read to start here from Luke 2, 4-7. So will be on screen, but feel free to turn into your Bibles too if you want. But Luke 2, 4-7 says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and here's the key, laid him in a manger, because there is no place for them in the inn. Now I just want to pause here for one second before we kind of fully answer the question of why he lies in such mean estate, but the Bible is clear, it's clear to point out that he was in fact laid in a manger. That's an important biblical and historical and theological detail uh, that's that's in there for a reason. And just to be sure we feel the weight of that, These these few verses, really all of this, but What's, what's highlighted here, th- this isn't just any birth narrative. Uh, this is this is the account of the richest, most powerful king ever to be born into the world. The son of God himself, or God himself. As Jesus later likens himself to God as God's son, but also when you see the father, or when you see me, you see the father. So if you want to know who God is, look at me, essentially. So God himself being born into flesh, the son of God Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And so it happens then through very lowly, even humiliating circumstances. So think of the highest birth narrative ever, but think about the circumstances. It happens through very lowly, even humiliating conditions. There's no room for them in in the more posh or comfortable inns, so they bypass them uh, to be laid in a manger, uh, which is a feeding trough for animals. And the song kind of gets at that, uh, where ox and ass are feeding A manger is a feeding trough for animals. So so think smellier or dirtier or louder, uh, more chaotic and colder than what you see depicted in nativity scenes, maybe in your homes and yards or light shows or things like that. Jesus was laid among animal saliva and hair and stench when he first came into the world. The song says uh, a mean estate, which is defined of low birth, obscure, poor, and undistinguished. So it, it should shock us. There's there's meant to be some shock value here uh, to the birth narrative. Maybe even offend us a bit to think that God would be born into such conditions and that and that he he was not accepted into the ends. He was not accepted into the more comfortable conditions, but he bypassed them not just for any other condition, but for a manger a feeding trough for uh for animals. So it should shock us, maybe offend, or maybe, if you flip it around, maybe not. Uh, maybe the thought of a higher person associating with the lowly is encouraging to us. You know, if, uh, if President Obama came to Minneapolis and stayed in a Motel 6, you know, or something, we might just say, that's kind of interesting, that's kind of cool. Actually, he did come to Minneapolis, was it a year or two ago, and he ate at Matt's Bar. You guys remember that, right down the road? I remember that because I drove by. I knew he was in town, and I drove by and thought, wouldn't it be kind of cool if he ate at Matt's bar? And he did. found out later, I thought, oh, will just add a little premonition there or something. But, um, but that's kind of great, right? When someone of that kind of high stature uh, eats at a place like that or stays at a place like that. And that starts to get at, I think, get at the answer to the greater question here, which is not just what child is this, but why was he born in such mean estates among animals? Why was God's son laid in a feeding trough? Was there no other way? And the answer to that last question is no. There wasn't any other way. The Bible is careful to record it, and it's very important that it happened in this manner. It was very important that God was not accepted into the end because of what that meant theologically. Uh, There, but later later in the story. And so the the song actually, as we go back to the broader questions, why lies he in such being a state, the song actually answers the question for us in that same verse. It says, good Christians fear, or bad Christians, as it were, uh, for sinners here, the silent word is pleading. Good Christians fear, for sinners here at the manger, the silent word, the word referring to Christ, is pleading. So this is saying, again, we kind of got at this, but it's saying that God's word or Jesus, God's word in the flesh, Jesus Christ, pleads for sinners as he associates with them. Because Jesus was born in the conditions he was, he was able to advocate for lowly sinners. So why lies he in such mean estate? Well, for sinners here in these conditions, he starts to plead. He starts to associate, and the Bible calls Christ an advocate, or an intercessor between a holy God and, and fallen sinful people that cannot climb the ladder to him, or cannot themselves associate with them. God's, God is separated from people because of sin. We've been exiled from his presence, but there's hope in this Emmanuel, or God, with us when he's sent into the world, not just to be sent, and Peter prayed this earlier, but not just to be sent, but to be sent into these conditions grants hope. Uh, Martin Luther has said, if Christ had arrived with trumpets, And laying in a cradle of gold, his birth would have been a splendid affair, but it would not be a comfort to me. Would have been a splendid affair, but no comfort to me. Why? Because it would demonstrate God's high separation from lowly humankind. It would further kind of undergird the fact that you cannot associate with me. Do you see? But the fact that he was in a manger, accessible. He's coming our way. He's not giving us another symbol of try harder to be, in whatever way you see this, be born into the world amongst trumpets and gold and amazing circumstances. That will be to say, saved by works. Saved by what you do. Saved by trying harder. Saved by ascension into heaven. But the fact that God came to our level, he came down to save, preaches grace, right? It, it, it moves us to this true gospel, which is, as Spence said last night, and I just said, this idea of Emmanuel, God with us, not separated anymore, but with us. Because Christ was anything but separation. His ministry, his words, his teachings, his miracles, all pointed to the fact that God was going to be reconciled to humankind, his enemies, again. And so, as the, as the song says, uh, a little bit later in that verse, the word made flesh, you know, by his very nature, he's beginning to bridge this gulf. And then, and then it moves on as well. It says in the next verse, nails, spears shall pierce him through. So if the question is, why was he born into such mean estate? We've been getting at that, but it it builds to, I think, this verse. It says, nails, spears shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me for you. And so one of the reasons why he was born into such conditions was not just to suggest uh, advocacy and association with the sinner to kind of point to what he was going to do later, but it was actually to get specific, more specific. And that was to point to the conditions of his death. The conditions of the manger point to the conditions of the cross. Both were humiliating. Both were lowly. Both consisted of being laid on wood. It was important that Christ be laid on wood when he was born so that later he would point to how he was laid on wood when he would die for our sins. Both were lowly, both were humiliating, but both were for us. See, God passed a, uh, bypassed an inn for a lowly manger in a lowly city to show us that for us, he would bypass comfort all the way to the cross. A glorious birth and a humiliating death would be inconsistent. In fact, his birth shows us why he came. He came to be, as the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, 2-3, prophesying hundreds of years before Christ about the Christ. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. A man of sorrows, not beautiful in form or appearance. Does that sound like the manger? Or what? Man- this prophecy, manger to cross. It's it's all consistent thematically to to get us to the cross, which is kind of this final act of God God's condescension or God's self humiliation for the sake of the spiritually humiliated the shame filled the guilt-ridden us who could not get back to him he came to our rescue and all these symbols uh, point to that to that greater that greater climax and so so when you, when you think about it this way all of a sudden the manger you know Jesus's initial mean estate the cross being the final mean estate but the initial mean estate means something to us it it frees us up i think on two levels one i'll just start more with kind of the day to day the ministry and life level, you know, for the Christian or even not, but I'll speak to Christians here. When the Bible calls us to put other people first, when it calls us to love as as he has loved us, to express that love to others, without this message we've been talking about today, without this gospel, it's way too heavy of of a burden. It's way too oppressive. You can't do that. We can't bring that message to a world primarily and say, Jesus wanted you to copy him and love like him. It's way too burdensome. I can't do it. You can't do it. But with this gospel first, with the message of God loved you first, so that you can love others in a reflective kind of way, he lowered himself to your place so that you can access him again. He condescended. He didn't didn't have that kind of judgment. He didn't come to judge primarily, but to give himself for our life. Then it frees us up to do that for others. This message actually kind of liberates us, and if God lowered himself for us, we can lower ourselves for other people. We can actually do what the Bible says in some of those places about love. It's a radical kind of love that is impossible to keep. So for the Christians in the room, this has to come first, and then it will liberate you, liberate me, liberate us as a church community. As we look at a dead and dying city and individuals we know and love, family you might see later today at your Christmas celebrations, in whatever capacity you see them as lower, uh, and they might they might be sick, they might be spiritually lower, they might not be too. But but if that's the way you're looking at them or think about them, God lowered Himself to you. So as we think about lowering ourselves for others, um, this is the this is the the thing that motivates us to that end. So the manger means something on that level, but even more than this, as the song gets at, it drives us to worship. So. Like the song says, hail, hail, the word made flesh, and joy, joy, for Christ is born. Joy, because Jesus was not born on a judge's chair to condemn us, nor a golden throne to keep us as servants. He was born in a stable laid on a wooden manger to show us he came to associate with us and to die for us. And to make us sons and daughters. Not a judge's chair. Not a golden throne. But a wooden manger. Crucial, important uh, detail biblically and theologically. We need it. Because of how much it associates with with the cross. And so as we think about this, we think about the stable, the manger, the lowly city. Uh, This really is the gospel of Christmas, right? This is... It's not just that God was laid on a manger, but that God was laid in a manger for you. So when you, when you sing this song, when you, when you read Luke 2 the rest of your days, when you think today about what Christmas means, it's, and look at a nativity scene in your home or in a yard, or look at a light show tonight, whatever it is. It's not just that it happened. It's not just a circumstance. It's a theology. He was laid in a manger for us because later he would be laid on a cross for us. Not just history, it's deep theology. God loved us unto death. We get a whisper of that at Christmas, but a shout of that at Easter. So let's remember that. As we close in prayer, we're going to sing the song one more time to close our time uh, together today, uh, as it's kind of fresh in our mind, both through song and and through preaching here. And um, we'll wrap things up, but let me pray for us. God, thank you so much uh, for your grace. Thank you for the gospel of Christ. Thank you for this song that uh, points us kind of by way of Luke 2 and by way of these uh, historical kind of mean estate details that we get in the birth narratives. It points us to the cross. It points us to the reason you came. We thank you that you were not born onto a judge's (laughs) chair. You were not born with trumpets and laying in a cradle of gold to kind of further suggest that you cannot get to me but a manger to say that, that really your message and your ministry was about you saying to us, I have come to you. I have brought God to you. And the way you ultimately did that was by dying for us on a cross. Nails, spears shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. For us, it was born. The ultimate gift of God. The ultimate expression of love. So that we can worship, we can hail the word made flesh. We can freely, not with a heavy burden kind of way or an obligatory way, but freely extend that love to others in our church family and a dead and dying world uh, to point with our actions, but especially our words, to an amazing, amazingly loving God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand as we sing it once more.